The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. This morning I'm going to ask you if you'll turn to Joshua chapter 14. Next week we'll hop in out of the series for Christmas message and of course the, the uh, Christmas Eve service. This morning I want us to be in Joshua chapter 14 and if you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel free to use the one in the pew or in the uh, rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take it with you as our gift uh, for your coming and trust that it will help you on your journey. In Joshua chapter 14, we're going to be looking at a man named Caleb. And I've titled the message, Give Me This Mountain. Uh, Subtitle, You're Never Too Old. But let's look in Joshua 14, beginning in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephaniah the Kittizite said to him, You know what the Lord said to to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this, his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day when Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going, and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, the son of, of uh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephaniah the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kirith Arba. Arba was the great man among the Anakim, and the land rested from war. So let me get this straight. He took the most difficult land, mountainous land, with the most difficult forces, full of giants, possessed by the chief giant, Arba, and God gave the victory. You know, in the presence of great and visible men, other men and women are often overshadowed, but used just as mightily by God. This was the case with Joshua and Moses. It is the case now with Caleb in the presence of his friend Joshua. Caleb was an extraordinary man. We're, to, we're not told much about him. Uh, he would have been, or Joshua would have been overlooked uh, had there not been a book written by his name. 
And Caleb has only been mentioned a half a dozen times in the Bible and only three times here in the book of Joshua. Although we may forget him, God obviously never did. Caleb fought side by side with Joshua through all the battles taking the land. And as they approached the end of the campaign, Joshua, or Caleb came to him and asked for the portion that had been promised to him so many years earlier. So I want us, first of all, to take a moment to look at a history of faithfulness. The first time we meet Caleb is in Numbers chapter 13. It's the chapter that tells us about Moses selecting the 12 men to go out and spy the land. Uh, this took place approximately two years after they had been freed from Egypt. Interestingly, in the listing of the spies in Numbers chapter 13, Caleb is cited as a representative from the tribe of Judah. Uh, so he would have been a part of that tribe. Yet in other portions of scripture, he is called the son of Jephthah the Kenizzite. And Kenizzites were not Jews. They were people living in the land that they were taken over. In fact, back in Genesis 15, when, when the land was promised, it says, the Genesis 15, verses 18 to 21, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Academanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gerashites, and the Jebusites. So they were just one of the ites that were in the land. So Caleb was a foreigner, or at least his father was a foreigner. And we don't know how he wound up with Israel uh, when they were uh, the slaves in Egypt. Maybe the ancestors had joined before. Nevertheless, he regarded himself as a faithful follower of the Jewish God, and he was faithful to the end. Now, I find it interesting because when you look at some of the great people mentioned in the book of Joshua, you know, there's, there's, there's Rahab, who was the prostitute, who was brought into Israel, became an integral part, and actually was the, in the line of Christ. And then you had the Gibeonites who tricked their way in, tricking Joshua, saying they're from a far land, but became such an important part of Israel that they were the ones who managed the worship in the tabernacle. And then you have this Caleb, who was a man after God. All of them were not Jews. Yet God used them in such an amazing part in his economy in working with his people. Now, for some reason, from the beginning of their mission to spy out the land, Caleb had a special interest in Hebron. The only city that is actually described here in detail. And if you recall, Hebron was the place at which Sarah, Abraham's wife, had died. It was where the cave was that Abraham purchased to bury Sarah and was the only land in Cana Abraham ever owned. Here also was the place Abraham was buried and later uh, Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and eventually Joseph's bones as he had requested that they be buried there. But this is the most difficult land. There, and there was something else about Hebron that Caleb and the other spies saw. They reacted differently towards it. But Hebron was the home of the giants. Ten of the spies saw that the land was good, but they didn't believe they could conquer it. 
Numbers chapter 13 and verses 27 through 28 says, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. You skip down to verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim. And we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You see, they had no faith in the God who promised the land. And they paid dearly, wandering for 40 years. And I wonder this morning, how many of you are wandering because you're afraid to take God at his word? This was the difference in these people. Caleb and Joshua took God at his word. The people didn't. Now, all the people of the land were not giants, but the spies had seen something that frightened them. And the Nephilim were giants. Anak was a descendant of the Nephilim. And three of Anak's descendants lived in Hebron. Ten spies saw them and concluded there was no possible way to defeat these giants. Only Caleb and Joshua believed that the land could be conquered. And I think how often... We see ourselves as grasshoppers in the light of our circumstances. And we know what happened to them. The people listened to the timid majority, and they wandered for 40 years until everyone over the age of 40 had died, except for Caleb and Joshua. Today, I believe the majority of Christians will spend their days wandering, until they die. Never taking God at his word, living life, never taking God at his word to live life to the full, letting the spirit of the living God take them to new heights is all missed because we're afraid to take God at his words. But there was something about this Hebron, something about Hebron that he couldn't give up. And in spite of them being condemned to wander for 40 years, still They believed, Joshua and Caleb, and trusted. He was sure his time would come. And Caleb said to Joshua, when the time came in Joshua 14, verse 12, and I'm reading this out of the King James, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in the day, for thou heardest in the day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fenced, If so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord had said. You see, the character of a lifetime at last bore fruit in the abundant service of this magnificent man. The secret of Caleb's greatness, I think, can be summarized in this little point here. Great men and women are never complicated. The complicated people are the weak ones. 
overrun by dozens of conflicting causes and motives, never quite knowing how to get it all together. They see one side of an issue, but they also see the other side. They see a course of action, but another course makes sense. Great men and women are not naive. They identify the need and the proper course of action to achieve it. Caleb was great because he was not complicated. He simply took the word of God to heart and lived it. Simply, not complicated. No matter what the challenge, he simply stayed on God's point. So with that in mind, what I want to do for our next few minutes together is ask you a specific question with six points to it. And here's the question I want to ask you. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? Number one, when you have a clear word from God. Caleb went to Moses and asked for Hebron. And God, through Moses, promised the land. So knowing the land was his, taking God at his word, Caleb was able to cling to that and live for that. Do you know this word? Do you regularly read it and digest it and understand it? Because this is where your direction comes from. The Holy Spirit was given by God not only to indwell us, but as the scripture says, to guide us into all truth. He uses the word of God, not extra biblical revelation, not gifts of the spirit to motivate you. He uses his word. And I had mentioned this a number of months ago in a message, but it would be good for you and I to begin the word to give the spirit something to work with because this is how he speaks and works. True mountains to conquer come from God through his word. Caleb had a word from God, and it drove him his whole life. And there is no different today for each one of us here to understand that this is the word we've been given. And it is just as real today as it was in Caleb's time. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? When you're willing to wait. Caleb had to wait 40 long years, and not by his doing, incidentally. And then seven more years of battling and conquest to take the land. And then when he got his land, the years it took to rid it completely of the Canaanites. This is an amazing point for you and I to grasp. Do you know how explosive it is to be so convinced in your heart that this is the will of God? Can you imagine getting up every morning, whether you go to work or whatever you're doing, and knowing that this day has been ordered by the Lord, and that your goals and the plans of your heart are riveted because you know exactly how God wants you to live? Not complicated, simply following his word. I know in our society today, we're, we're very busy. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was in a line in a McDonald's, and you know how they have sometimes the two ordering stations before you go into one to get your food. And, and obviously, the one next to me, the person was having a hard time or, with the order, and the guy behind was going crazy. I mean, he wasn't tooting the horn, but I could see in the car he was going like this and motioning and just going crazy. And he happened to look over, and he saw I was watching him. And he kind of got sheepish, you know, and I laughed, he laughed, and, you know, it was kind of a funny moment. But that's the way we live. We pray for God to do something. We want it now. Can you imagine getting a word from God and waiting 47 years for it? 
If you want to ask for your mountain, you've got to be willing to wait. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? Number three, when you're willing to give yourself utterly to God. Why did Caleb give himself utterly to God? The answer is simple. He had his eyes on God and not the giants. This is what separated him from the other spies. None of the spies disagreed that the land was flowing with milk and honey, as God had said. Nor did they differ in their description of the people in the land. The cities were large, and they were well fortified. The people were numerous, and yes, there was giants in the land. The point in which they differed was in their awareness of God. And folks, either you believe him or you don't. There's no middle ground. We want to believe, but we kind of doubt. And our faith is, I know he can. I don't know if he will. Well, what kind of faith is that? This is why the simplicity of taking the word of God at face value and believing it is is so important to you and I to achieving the mountains that God has for us. The ten looked at themselves and the giants and concluded that the conquest of those people was impossible. Compared to the giants, the people looked like grasshoppers in their own minds. Caleb and Joshua looked at the giants through the filter of God and concluded their God was much bigger. And that's why in Numbers 14, verse 9, it's written, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You notice what it's saying there. Do not rebel, do not fear. Do not rebel, do not fear. You know what happens to us? We know we've rebelled, and so we fear that God's not going to do anything. Do you realize that when you give yourself totally to God, He works? He doesn't sit there going, Oh man, you really blew it. <laughs> Nothing I can do for you. No. When your heart is sold out and committed to Him, He takes over. And do not rebel, do not fear are opposite sides of the same coin. When you don't fear, when you don't rebel, fear is taken away. Alan Redpath wrote of Caleb and Joshua's faith. He said, and I quote, The majority measured the giants against their own strength. Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The majority trembled. The two triumphed. The majority had great giants but a little God. Caleb had great God and little giants, end of quote. You know, the motivational speakers will tell you, you need to have a positive outlook. You need to believe in yourself. Well, that's good, but nothing could be farther from the truth because what we need to do is believe God and take him at his word. You must give yourself utterly to God. He's given the word to us for our enrichment, for our blessing, for our guidance. Take him at his word and allow him to do the miracle. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? Number four, 
when you keep your eyes on God and not the giants. There's an illustration in the New Testament, very simple story. I'm sure all of you are familiar with it. It takes place in Matthew chapter 14 where the disciples are out on the water. And it's winds are boisterous, the waves are high, they're getting tossed to and fro, they don't think they're going to make it. And in the third watch of the night, the scripture says that Jesus came walking on the water. And you know that they thought he was a ghost at first, and they were afraid. But then Peter, recognizing him, in a burst of faith, he said, Jesus, bid me come to you. And Jesus said, come. And Peter, in faith, steps out of the boat and is walking on the water. But what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus, he sees the big waves, and he panics. And he starts to go down. Keep taking your eyes off Jesus and putting him on the giant waves caused him to sink. How big is your God? Caleb had a big God. And Caleb's God, Caleb's big God, did mighty things. He kept his eyes on God and not the giants. He kept his eyes on God and not the battle ahead. And God led him step by step in victory. Why do you think the book of Joshua was recorded for you and I? It tells us about God. It tells us how wonderful he is. But you know what else it does? It shows you and I a very simple, concise pattern of how to live. When you trust God and you keep your eyes on him, he will work and lead you in this perfect way. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? Number five, when you wholeheartedly follow God. This is what comes most forcefully out of chapter 14. Verse 9 says, Joshua 14, verse 9, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have holy followed the Lord my God. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? When you wholeheartedly follow God. Joshua 14, a few verses later, verse 14 says, Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Are you getting the pattern here? Wholeheartedly means with all your heart. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus had in mind in the New Testament when he was asked by the Pharisees, what is the first and greatest commandment? And you recall what he said in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. From the moment you become a Christian, that ought to be ingrained in you. Now, when you love God, just think about this. Remember I talked about it being simple. When you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, there's no room for the flesh to mess up. When God has heart, soul, and mind, there's nothing left to fall into temptation. 
This is why we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And this is why for you to legitimately ask for your mountain, you need to love God wholeheartedly. Give him everything, everything about you. Remember I said Caleb was not complicated. You can't get any simpler than this. Caleb is a sinner, of course, but this was embedded into his character and it led him all the days of his life. Caleb had been serving the Lord for 45 years. Now he's 85 years old, a good time to retire for most people. In fact, 20 years past what we consider the normal retirement time, but Caleb wasn't finished. He had fought with Joshua for seven long years of the campaign, but now it was time for him to take his land that had been promised four and a half decades earlier. And he's ready. And when God has all your heart, there is no end to what you can do. And there's definitely no end to what he wants to do in and through you. So, When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? Number six, when you're willing to drive out all sin from your lives. What contrasted Caleb from the others in addition to being totally sold out to the Lord was that he completely rid the land of the Canaanites. This is contrast with most of the other people. They didn't completely clear the land. Caleb was given Hebron, and he took it, driving the Anakites out from the land. Sadly, this wasn't true of the majority of the nation. Again and again, we're told through Scripture how they suffered because of the enemy that was still in their midst. The land was theirs, the power of the Canaanites was broken, but they didn't fully possess their possessions that God had given them. Either they were tired of fighting or just wanted to enjoy the land, I don't know. But it cost them in the long run. They didn't complete the task they were given. For you and I to take our mountain, for you and I to wholly follow God, it's going to require ridding yourself of the giants that continually bring you down. They did not serve the Lord wholeheartedly as Caleb did. Their reign was becoming like many Christians today. They want to be saved, safe, and satisfied. But you know, you know, you and I should never be satisfied until we're walking holy with the Lord, until we have our lives completely in his care. Now let me take you to a New Testament passage that I think so beautifully pulls this together. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. You know Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith. It's the great chapter where we're heard, we've heard about all the incredible people who live for God and how the wonderful things they accomplished. And so verse 12, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1 begins, because of verse 11, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When do you and I have the right to ask for our mountain? 
when we're willing to lay aside every weight that hinders, when we're willing to lay sin aside and be willing to run with endurance the race that he has set before us, not our own contrived race. Now, I want you to notice something here that's very critical. And I heard this from a a famous pastor mentioned this uh, a couple of months ago. You notice it's not just talking about sin being laid aside. A lot of times we ask a question, well, is this sin? Can I do it? Is, Is this a sin? Is it not a sin? That's not a question to ask. The question to ask is, will it hinder my run? Will it hinder what God wants for me? It might just be a weight. It could be something that's not a sin, but it's something that in your life keeps you from getting on the path God wants you to be, to get to your mountain. You call Joshua at the end of the book. We'll see when we get there. But he says, look, you can worship whatever God you want, the ones on the other side of the Jordan, whatever. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that needs to be the cry for every one of us. And you and I can either run with the Lord and achieve our mountain by his leading and his guiding and his spirit. Or you can wander all the rest of your days and wonder what might have been. Think about the life of Caleb. Every step was focused on God. He was simple in his approach. He was obedient in his faith. And he put one foot in front of the other and conquered the land that had been provided for him. And what you and I need to understand this morning is, we are no different than Caleb. We're no different. Oh, we're not going to fight for our property. You know, we're not going to be called on to to fight for things like Caleb did. But every one of you are going to be called on to stand strong for the Lord. Every one of you are going to be called on to make daily decisions to walk with the Lord. Every one of you will be called on to have simple, childlike faith in God's word and not let it be complicated by your reasoning, your thoughts, and what people tell you. When God is at the center of your will, you can ask for your mountain and you can be sure to achieve it because that's what he wants. Now, in closing this morning, I want you to listen to a song. And while we're listening to the song, if God is working in your heart, if he has touched you in a certain way, and maybe you want to just come up and and pray, and maybe you need to talk to someone, while we're listening to this song, please go to the Lord and be honest and real about what he's doing in your heart this morning. Grace alone we hear. 
to that mountain, that point of grace. Lord, I just pray this morning, if there's any here who are struggling right now, to find that path to the mountain, that ability to surrender to you and simply follow you. I pray that you would work that in the hearts of each one of us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior, they wouldn't even know what we're talking about. I pray that your spirit would draw them, that we might speak to them before they leave and show them how they can know about eternal life. 
thank you for what you've done in our lives in this Christmas season when we celebrate your birth, that you came into this world to set us free by paying the price for our sins. I pray, Lord, that your people will turn to you and follow you and bring glory to you. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. God bless.